Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between. It is time for another episode of Midnight Movie Confessions. What's on the agenda today? Well, it's not really a movie, it's several. As I am counting down the timeline between now and when No Time to Die is meant to come out, the next Bond film, I am hoping it will be out very soon. I do believe it is coming out within the next couple of weeks. I do believe in October. I decided to go through number 24 to number one of my least favorite to favorite of the Bond films. And I'm not going to do it in any particular order. I'm not going to say George Lazenby's only Bond film is the best or that or the other thing. I'm, I, I don't really, I, they're all to me, some of them I don't really like, some of them I do like. That's just how I have about it. I'm not going to give them a rating, but I'm just kind of going from number 24 to number 20. It's number one. At number 24, for me personally, because it is all my opinion, mind you, it is my opinion, I am going to keep on reiterating that throughout this, is A View to a Kill. Now, don't get me wrong, I like Christopher Walken, he's a great actor, I just felt like this movie was just a spoof of its former shadow, like its former self, like that's what they were kind of doing, they were spoofing themselves a little bit, it became a little too cartoony, a little too goofy in the Bond films, especially this, this was Roger Moore's seventh time in the seat you could say in the tuxedo and he just wasn't that enjoyable to watch in this one there was a lot of them that were not enjoyable during this time frame but this along with a couple of the other ones were not so great i'm getting the ones i don't like out of the way the most and number 23 i feel like it's tied for last place but i didn't want to put it like i didn't want to do to say i didn't want to put that one down everyone hates it the most i know that it's very polarizing you either love it or you hate it and this one is die another day Brosnan's last film and the reason why i don't really like it very much is an invisible car really but you can see it through thermal vision cameras really it's invisible are you serious okay you have bond also windsurfing after a tsunami you have a surfing the coast of North Korea you have what else do you have him doing oh yeah you have him being tortured and his double O status rescinded and his license to kill and all this like everything he's no longer useful he goes to some degree almost rogue like license to kill to some degree where he's on his own and then he's asked to come back by M like this movie I could even easily put at number 24 but I didn't like, there were so many th- things wrong with it. The song, no less, was absolutely crap. There was a lot of things that were wrong with this one, but I wanted to put it before number 24, you could say. It's not my favorite. I used to like it as a kid. Now, not so much. Now, if I was to put another one that's not the best, but it tried, I would have to say... The one where they really just got a little too ridiculous for its own good at the same time. Roger Moore's second outing. The Man with the Golden Gun. Now, don't get me wrong, I like it, but there are points in this movie where I'm just cringing. Especially the slide whistle barrel roll jump near the end of the movie when they're in Thailand. And Sheriff Pepper is around. Like, don't get me wrong, Sheriff Pepper in Live and Let Die was great. I didn't really like that he returned in The Man with the Golden Gun. He was not needed, but... I guess they put him in there for the sake of putting him in there. 
Now, number 22, I have to say, even though I like the band AHA, this movie for me was not that great either. And it's Timothy Dalton's first outing, The Living Daylights. Then again, there was a lot of films during that time from the Bond films. Like There was a couple of movies between the very late side of Moore's Bond era and the beginning of Dalton's era that I didn't like. The, the first Bond, like Bond movie with Dalton, I didn't really like. Don't get me wrong, the story was good. It was based off the short story, but there was, a, there was parts of it that didn't feel like it actually made sense. Now, number 21. I have to say, number 21 has to be, for me, Tomorrow Never Dies. This one was just... I don't know. This is a movie that I thought I would like as a kid. When I first watched it, I liked it. Now, as I've gotten, old, gotten older... And the first time I liked it. Second time, not so much. Third time, yes. I just didn't find it really enjoyable because I'm like, why is Bond going after like some tech magnet? Like he's just trying to start World War Three. What's the what's the problem here? But he's doing it with technology. Didn't we? I honestly feel like this is almost every single Bond villain out there. But number twenty, we're out of the twenties now. I gotta say, my. The only one I could say I don't really like out of the classic Connery films this much is probably the one that had the most issues later on down the road, and that's Thunderball. Don't get me wrong, Thunderball overall is a great film. Roald Dahl, I think, helped write the screenplay for it, but there was a bunch of people that helped write it, apparently, story-wise, like Fleming did. Kevin Clory and all these other people helped write it, but Kevin Clory decided to take them to like, take the first, like the the extra step to make another movie, which she did later on, which was Never Say Never Again. And he tried to do the same thing with Casino Royale, but he lost. He basically said, "Okay, I give up." But this is a movie that, don't get me wrong, was good, but at the same time, I can understand why some people don't like it either. Number nineteen, one of my favorite numbers. I gotta say. I kind of like this film, but at the same time, I don't. It's very really polarizing for me at times. I gotta go with uh, Moonraker. We brought back Jaws to be more child, like child friendly, which was like, what the hell? And it doesn't help. Some of the things that were going on in this movie were just not that great. I'll give it props for the Guinness World Record that it had, but some of the puns in this movie, oh my goodness, the puns—they made me. For like You only live twice style puns from Connery man Like Take a giant step for mankind Or where's Drax Oh we had to fly And then there's the one with IQ Which oh my goodness Desmond Why did you have to do this pun Cause uh, I believe it's Not M That asks I have to double check But I think it might have been M Or it might have been the defense minister who asks, my God, what's Bond doing? And Llewellyn has to come up with a clever point. He's like, I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. And it's just like, Desmond, why? Like, it just... It's just one of those things in the movie that I didn't really like. I have to double-check to see if M was still in this one or not. But I know there was a bunch of things that had it. It had a... Like, it was still alright, but it wasn't my absolute favorite, realistically. Okay, Bernard Lee was... This was... Okay, Bernard Lee was still in this one. Okay. 
this was his last appearance as M, so the, he was still around, so that helps. And on the plus side, I like the Lotus Esprit V8 being used as a submarine in this one. Well, not, 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 it wasn't this one, it was in the next one, it was in the previous one. Sorry, I don't know why I'm thinking Moon. Like, I confuse Moonraker and the only, like, this why I love me quite a bit because of Jaws coming back, but honestly, both movies feel the same as well, so that doesn't help me very much either. But Michael Lonsdale as Hugo Drax was just basically the same thing as Stromberg to some degree, it felt like, but it's space. That was the only thing I didn't like about this movie, like, it went to space, and it was like, whatever. Like, the original book never had to do with, like, it, it was like just a rocket, like, basically a rocket-like missile that they were using, but number 18, this one's a tricky one for me, but if I had to choose one for this one, it's Daniel Craig's second outing, Quantum of Solace. You're using the book title, which they could have done something with that overall in this one, a little short story title they could have used something with it like have him go to Jamaica and hear about the story and then have to continue on with the rest of his mission even if it's a small little bit or at least some sort of flashback or something that could have worked because it had nothing to do with the actual ordeal it just basically is a true and utter sequel like maybe 10 minutes 20 minutes after the ending of Casino Royale we don't really know all I know is it's pretty much right after it feels like and it picks up where it left off and this one just He's just... I feel like every other time there's a chance that Bond can go rogue, he goes rogue. But this time around, he goes rogue for the right reason. Not to, like... But this one's... He goes rogue for the, for the sake of basically saying, I'm going to expose this organization with or without your help. Compared to, oh, I'm just going to go rogue because my best buddy, my best friend is nearly dead in the hospital. Like, dying in the hospital. Like, I don't know what's happening like he does in License to Kill, which is further up the list, not this low. Number 17, Octopus. Very goofy movie. Kamal Khan's an alright villain, but the Bond girl herself, Octo like Octopussy? Eh, not so great. There's a little bit of the property of a lady with the Fabergé egg ordeal. A lot of other things in this movie just didn't really rub me the right way and it was a movie that I just never liked as a kid I still kind of am iffy on it like there's moments where I'm like okay whatever but it's not the worst film out there number 16 is another one I don't really like very much it's another Roger Moore one and that's for your eyes only this one was during the time of the Kevin McClory ordeal and just a very difficult one to sit through and enjoy but um well, I hope that, honestly, if I say anything about it, I gotta say, it's a good movie. I honestly gotta say, I love it because of the, like, not like I love it, but I, I gotta say, Free Eyes only has moments where I enjoy it, but this is also during the same time that Kevin McCoy was trying to uh, fill around a little bit and take the idea of Spectre away from the Bond. So this one... We don't really get a whole lot of continuity. We get a little bit with Bond visiting Tracy's grave, his wife, and Blofeld, apparently, like, tried to ask him to put him down or what have you. Like, just a little bit of, like, ridiculousness in the beginning, but that was it. 
Now, number 15 is a movie I really do like, but I have to kind of put it here because it's just... I'm biased, but you know what? This was the one where I didn't dislike Roger Moore, but this one was where I thought he's a solid actor for the Bond films. And this one is actually filmed in Canada, too. The Spy Who Loved Me. If you want to know what scenes I'm talking about, it's basically when he leaves the little cabin on the mountain where the girl he's dating, like, making out, like, making love to, he has to leave. He's like, she has, she says, but James, I need you. So does England. Yeah, that's the movie. This is the one with the Lotus Esprit V8 submarine, which I think they did for real, but I can't remember. But I do know I like it. We're into the films that I, we're almost halfway to where I start to like the movies a little bit. Number 14, well, You Only Live Twice. You Only Live Twice is not a bad movie, but I don't find this iteration when they introduced Blofeld very enjoyable. And honestly, the idea of Bond trying to look like a Japanese man when he's Scottish, for fuck's sake, he's tall as hell. There's no way he's going to fit. There's, I've, honestly, I've never really met from someone from Japan who was taller than my height, which is six foot two. I've never met anyone that freaking tall. I know there was one man that was very tall from Mongolia, who at the time was one of the tallest men in the world. I don't know if he still is. Probably not. There's probably a few people that have definitely surpassed him, but whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, number 13. You're probably going to castrate me for this, folks. It's honestly not intentional that I don't like this movie. But it has to be, if I remember correctly. If you give me one moment. I have to remember the films off the top of my head. And it's, it's kind of difficult right now. But basically, the films that I'm trying to think of off the top of my head. Are. This one is... Um, If anything, Spectre. I did not really like the reintroduction of uh, Blofeld in this one. Even, like, because he would never ask him to just finish it. That's not what Blofeld would ever do. He would always beg for his life. He would keep on fighting to the very end. With the exception of one, which I will get to. I will get to. Don't you worry, ladies and gentlemen. I will get, and everyone else in between. I will get to that other Blofeld that I'm going to talk about. But that'll probably be the next one. I don't know, like the halfway point where I start to like them. But you know what? This one wasn't terrible, but there's points in this movie where I'm just like, come on now. Mr. Hanks, played by David Batista, was not bad. He was a great henchman, but he was very quiet. He was kind of like Odd Job Quiet and Goldfinger, but not really. But he was more aggressive. So he'd be, he'd be like a mixture of Jaws mixed with Odd Job, I feel like. And number 12, where I start to like them a little bit more. The last Connery film, because I did not count Never Say Never Again. I will not ever watch that movie again. Literally, if I do, I have to be drinking a fuckload of tequila. And that is Diamonds Are Forever. This one I like mostly due to the fact that, one, this is the last time we really do see Blofeld properly where it's canon until the reboot with Casino Royale and whatnot. And this one is 
with Charles. It's just a drop to the left. And a step to the right with your hands on your hips. Gray. Yes, the same guy that plays the... What was it called? The socio uh, criminologist, that's it. The one that plays the criminologist in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Charles Gray, the camp bond, the camp bloke. That's what he is. He's camp value. That is all that he is in this movie. He's quite simply camp value. And I'm I'm sorry for quoting you, Calvin Dyson, on YouTube, but he is. I agree with you right there. He is the camp value, and he makes this movie enjoyable. He dresses up in drag. He uh, Bond impersonates two different people in this movie. He impersonates someone named Klaus Hergesheimer at. Willard White's science compound or wherever where there's like this satellite he's gonna launch later on in the film freaking he also impersonates some diamond smuggler named Peter Franks pardon me uh, Jill St. John in this one is spectacular there are a, a few moments in this movie where there's some continuity errors but that's fine like I have to there's the biggest continuity error which is the big stunt halfway through the movie when they're in Vegas when they do the like but I guess it was because of something that they couldn't fix at all because they went one way and they didn't get the other angle for it, so they had to do it the other side and whatnot. But whatever. It, 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 there's a way that they find a way to just make the car be on a different ends of the vehicle. I don't know. Like, it's on one side of its... Of the, like, it's on the passenger side for one scene, or for a couple scenes, and then it switches to the driver's side where it's on its... Like, on its basically on one side. But that doesn't bug... It bugs me a little bit, but it's not enough to just say I hate this movie. It's, it doesn't put it down to the number 24. Now, number 10. No, was it 11 or 10? Anyways, I've lost track now, and I'm sorry. But the next one that I like is the 50th anniversary film, Skyfall. Now, why do I like Skyfall? Well... There are quite a few references to the old films. If you really look at things, we do finally get to see where Bond grew up and how he did not like Skyfall Lodge as a kid. How he even says in the movie he always hated this place. We get a little bit more information about where Anne may have been before she got stationed at MI6 properly. Like She was still working for MI6, but she was not at headquarters as M. We don't really get to know her name in this one, sadly. But I know many people know the name just through searching around on certain things. And I gotta say, this one's really good. And it's one of my favorites from the Daniel Craig era. Now, number 10, I believe it is. Yeah, last one was 11. 10 is... It used to be my favorite as a kid. Now, not so much. It's still great, though. We're in the top 10 now, folks. Is, uh... Dr. No, the very first Bond outing. Sean Connery was able to finally and utterly make it his own and make it perfect. And he just, he made it so worth, like, worth the effort. Because we didn't know if there were going to be multiple people as James Bond until maybe later down the road. But he made a good contract happen. He made a lot of money with it. But later on, when he does You Only Live Twice, he does have some issues with Harry Saltzman and the issues going on in Japan for him like he was just paparazzi were all over him they swarmed him so I can understand why he didn't want to come back after that one but he came back one more time and said I'm done completely it's old never say never again 
number nine. Now this one, I'm keen about. You see the gear lever here? Now if you take the top off, you'll find number nine, Goldfinger. This one used to be my favorite as a kid. An absolute favorite of mine that I would watch over and over and over again. I don't want to play favorites and say Sean Connery's going to be in every single one now. Because there's quite a lot of a few other films that he's done that are already on the list where they're further down. But this one has the most iconic vehicle, the most iconic lines, the most iconic everything, realistically, if you think about it. Like, Q's briefing in this one. How he just talks about, like, he shows awesome gadgets that aren't being perfect, that aren't perfected yet. Like, some sort of bulletproof vest of sorts that is, looks to work, but not really yet. And there's some other gadgets they're filling around with. And this one introduces Q for the second time properly, because we have Major Boothroyd and Dr. No, but we don't know if it's the same one in, like, from Russia with Love onwards, you know what I mean? But Q in this one, he makes the best point in this movie for me. Like, when he's talking about the DB5, he shows the revolving number plates, he shows pretty much everything you need to know about this vehicle. Like, he shows the car having revolving number plates, he gives him the little GPS tracking device called a Homer that fits in his shoe, and there's another one that he could put into a, a vehicle wherever he decides to put it to, and he also has the small one that he could use to basically give to someone else without them being the wiser, just in case they're tracking him, like he wants to track someone, which he does, and this one is also the one that has a very big plot point. If Goldfinger was able to launch a nuclear weapon inside of Fort Knox, the entire gold supply would be radioactive until 2022, uh, 2024. Well, 2022, actually. be radioactive until next year. But that is what it is, right? Now, with this, I gotta say, this movie with the DB5, the number plates, the Homer, uh, what else is in the car? Oh, yeah, the... Like, he shows him the defense mechanisms. Like, he has the smoke screen, oil slick, rear bulletproof screen, which he also uses in Thunderball, but not very much, not very quickly. He also uses some hoses that aren't mentioned or even talked about in this in this one. Probably they're upgraded for the DB5 and Thunderball. But this is the most iconic car. The one with BMT216A as the license plate. BMT216A. Yeah, I, I would love to have that. On my, uh, on my license plate as a vanity plate if I was able to on any vehicle that I had. This is also the one where he even mentions the left and right front wheel machine guns and then the most particular thing he was keen about. You see the gear lever here? Now, if you take the top off, you'll find a little red button. Whatever you do, don't touch it. But well, why not? Because you release this section of the roof. Engage and fire the passenger ejection sheet. Eject the seat, you joking. I never joke about my work, 007. Now... If I was now number seven, or is it eight? It's eight or seven. I, I don't remember. Next movie that I have that I love to death is actually gonna surprise some. The world is not enough. This is one of my favorite films. I wanted to put it higher up, but I didn't want to play favorites. So the reason why I love this movie is it's the last time we ever see Desmond Llewellyn and every time I see that scene now I do kind of cry because he died a couple days after my birthday in 1999 just after the movie was released and 
to this day, I cry just because of the fact that he didn't get to be in the next one or even a follow-up if they were going to make another one because they were going to show him retiring in the, and die another day and just say, you know what? My uh, Matt, the fellow I'm grooming to follow me to become your new quarter, like to be my quarter, like the new quartermaster, will have more information and whatnot about this. You won't see me again, 007, but just remember these few things. Like, he, like but this is this movie that had me cry now as, a, as an adult because of the fact that he does say a few things. But there's also one time where you see the vehicle that Bond's meant to be driving get destroyed and I just feel so I feel even worse because John Cleese as Q who is always, not always the one that says like to return everything in pristine order and all that it's usually Desmond one that does I feel like he himself would just be so disappointed in Bond because he allowed the thing to be sawed in half even Bond's like Q's not gonna like this and I just I felt so horrible at the time. I laughed at it as a kid, and I still kind of do, but now there's times where I just feel horrible because it's like, Q's not going to like this, and it's like, oh, yeah. He's not at all because he just found, he's going to find out that you destroyed his fucking car he made for you, and he's going to want to kill you. But, yeah, this one also has the iconic line from Desmond Malone, which is his last lines he ever has in any movie whatsoever. Now pay attention, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. On the second, always have an escape plan. Yeah, this movie pulls a lot of the heartstrings. Sophie Marceau is great in it as an actor, as uh, Electric King, who deals with Stockholm Syndrome. And the anarchist Renard, played by Robert Carlyle, is also very good too. I never really liked him in this one, but in later movies that I've seen him in, I started to respect him a little bit more because I had to hate him in the movie. Like, I had to hate him, but now I don't have an issue with hating him anymore. I don't have that hate in me as much as I did before. Now, the next film that I got to mention is, uh, well, Goldeneye. And... Goldeneye is one of my absolute favorites from the uh, from the Brosnan era. It still is to this day. It it's definitely one I could just turn on without thinking twice and just enjoy the idea of a double O agent going rogue. And this is the first time you meet Valentin Zhukovsky, who is in The World's Not Enough. And you do realize in this one he's a little bit more of an angry person compared to how he is in The World's Not Enough. And the world's not enough. He's a little bit more... Not wise, but... He at least knows Bond a little bit better. And he at least trusts him. And he does work with him a little bit more. So there is that. Now, the next, next one on my list is... uh, well, From Russia with Love. Now, this one is the second outing with... Bond, and it's also the second outing with Connery. This one is quite good. If I am truly honest. It's definitely one... If you want to watch the classic Bonds, I would say go in order. But if you've seen them plenty of times, you don't have to go in any realistic order. But I do know 
out of all the films, this is one of my favorites from him. He doesn't try and be different or anything like that whatsoever. Now, the next one, which I do believe is number five, may come to a shock. May come become a shock to some. But it is actually uh, Casino Royale. Now, why would I put Casino Royale in the top five? Or is it top, maybe it's number four. I can't really recall. I think... Yeah. It's in the top five. Now, you can probably think... I don't really, I like more of Daniel Craig than I do Pierce Brosnan or Connery or more. Quite the contrary. I don't really like him that much, but I feel he does do well with his acting in the movies. In Casino Royale, I felt like he did very well as a first-time outing as Bond, and he was blonde. This is a change. Now, maybe people like this change. I thought he did great. Maybe I'm one of the only few that think that he did great on this one. But... Overall, the acting was great. The Chief was a great baddie, played by Mads Mikkelsen. Jesper Christensen as Mr. White was amazing in it. Eva Green as uh, Vesper Lynn was amazing. Now, what's going to be next? Well, when you were young and your heart was an open book. Used to say, live and let live. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. But in this ever-changing world in which we live in, makes you give in and cry. Do do do. Say, live and let die. Boom. Yes. Roger Moore's first outing as 007. Live and let die. This one does not have Q in it, sadly, but it does have Q off-screen repair the wristwatch for Bond that he uses at times. This one is him going up against, like, it does kind of follow the original storyline of the book a little bit, but not a whole lot. There are moments where it doesn't follow it everywhere, but it does well. Like, he's in, like, three, three agents have been killed in the past 24 hours. He goes to investigate New York. And afterwards, when he finds out more, he decides to go to the island of San Monique in the Caribbean to figure out what else is happening. And then when he decides to escape from there with Miss Solitaire, played by Jane Seymour, who is amazing in this, they decide to go to New Orleans. And then they get themselves into more trouble with Mr. Big, slash Dr. Kanango, who's being played by Yafet Kato. Not many of you know who he is, but if you do watch your black exploitation films, you'll know him very well. He's amazing in this film. So is Moore. Like, Roger Moore, even though he was first, the first choice, he did well in this one. Like, he was the first choice to be Bond overall. But uh, he didn't get the chance because he was playing the same. Just like how Timothy Dalton was the second choice because Pierce Brosnan was going to be the first for uh, Living Daylights and License to Kill. Speaking of which... Number three is License to Kill. This is one of my favorite films because it has Bond going rogue against MI6 as well as the CIA to some degree to go up against a drug lord named Franz Sanchez. He tries his damnedest to to avenge his best friend from the CIA, Felix Leiter, who has been injured because of Franz Sanchez. And it's just, I feel so bad for Felix in this one, but later on he does come back and he does well. Like, Jeffrey Wright 
as Felix is the most consistent person we've had for a long time in the Bond films. Because we've never had a consistent Felix Leiter in all of them, which is fine. Number two, I hate to be very not consistent on how much I want to discuss these movies, but number two, I have to put... I do believe I already talked about Living Let Die, The Man with the Golden Gun, Spy I Love Moonraker, Rise Only, and all the other ones. I think I already mentioned Goldeneye. I already mentioned Chrono Dies and all that. I gotta say Skyfall. I think I, I no, I already mentioned that one. No, it's actually Casino Royale. I already mentioned Spectre. I already mentioned License to Kill, Living Daylight. I mentioned Beautiful Kill. I mentioned these ones. Then I have to. I think I forgot, I know I mentioned Live Let Die. Oh yeah, number it might be number two or number one, but Honor Majesty's Secret Service. The only time we ever get George Lazen be the Aussie actor as Bond. I absolutely love this movie because this is the one where he gets married. It is just like the book. It's just absolutely spectacular. It's amazing. Like I don't know what else to say about it. Like five. But there's a lot more issues with it as well, I feel like, overall. But there's times where it's good. I think I already mentioned The World's Not Enough, so I think I mentioned all of them, really. One, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen. Yeah, I think I did mention them all. And so number one would be technically Skyfall. And the next film, or maybe I'm wrong. Hold on. Okay, never mind. I did mention them all. So technically number one would be, uh, quite simply, Automated Secret Service. Maybe a little biased, but you know what? All the Bond actors from the beginning to the end so far have been great. I cannot wait for No Time to Die to come out, so I may have lost track of my ranking system, but you know what? I love our Master's Service. I love a lot of the classics. I don't think there's anything else I need to say about them, because who else is going to talk about them, really? I mean, what else can I say about them as well? There isn't a whole lot that I can mention about these movies, but at the end of the day, what can I say? They're all great. If I had to rank all the actors from my least favorite to my favorite it's very difficult because even though Timothy Alton had only two movies, his first one I didn't really like so much, the second I actually liked a little bit more. I would say he's my least favorite, even though he's a Welshman. There's nothing wrong with that. My fourth favorite would be Dale Craig. Three is Roger Moore. Number two is Sean Connery. And number one is Pierce Brosnan because I grew up watching the Pierce Brosnan movies. I was a 90s kid. I grew up watching the Connery films as well as the Moore films as well as Lacey Bates. But I also gotta say, Dayon Craig, I don't have issues with at all. I do know for a fact when his time is over with No Time to Die, I will make a review on that one. I will talk a lot in detail with that movie. And even though I lost track of all the movies that I wanted to rank and just talk about, that's fine. It happens. I wanted to talk about the Bond films before I wrap up anything this summer because I know it were literally today's as I'm recording this the 15th of August the movie comes out one two three four five six seven 
Seven weeks, one, two, three. About 54 days from now. Maybe less if I go see an early screening, but still. 50, like 49 days left, realistically. We're, 40, like we're seven weeks away from this movie coming out, and I can't not wait. I've seen the trailers, I'm excited, I can't wait to see what Remy Malik will be like. As I've only seen him in a few films and a few TV shows, I've only seen him in Mr. Robot a couple of times. I know he's the main cast member in that one. I've seen him in Bohemian Rhapsody where I enjoyed that movie. I've seen him in a bunch of other things as well. But I mean, the only two things I can think about that on my head where he's good are Bo Rap and Mr. Robot. But at the end of the day, I don't know a whole lot. I want to see what he does. I want to see how Blofeld will be in this one. I know he looks to be... He's still Bond's arch nemesis and whatnot, but I don't know how else he's going to react. Now, if I was to say anything further, ladies and gentlemen, my next review will not be this week or next. I don't believe so. In the next couple of the movies that I have planned are until October anyway, so I might have a few more classic reviews or something like this where I talk about something else in the movie world. But I do know I have another Music from the Curator share coming up very soon in the next couple of weeks. Around, let's say... About two weeks and some change from now, I have, I believe, the new Iron Maiden album, Senjutsu. And I also have the new album, next the following week, by The Stranglers, which comes out on the 10th of September called Dark Matters. So I have those movies I have those albums to review during those weeks. So I will be very busy during that time. I will still be getting amped up and getting ready for No Time to Die. I will not be dressed up as James Bond when I go see the premiere. I will be dressed up as Jaws. Even if I don't have the teeth or I don't have the mouth guard, I can get enough time to do it, which is fine. It's not a big deal. It's whatever. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all and everyone else in between. I hope you're all having an amazing day out there. Please, please, if you have a chance to rate this on Apple Muse, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, if there's a rating system, give it a like, give it some love, share it with your friends and family. Share it everywhere. Listen to it while you're on the go. Do whatever. Do what you need to. Until next time, everyone, this is Scott signing out and transmission. <laughs>